the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's an honor, always. Today is Thursday, January the 23rd, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on January 23rd, 1964, the 24th Amendment to the United States Constitution. Do you know what that did? You'll appreciate what it did. It eliminated the poll tax in federal elections. It was ratified as South Dakota became the 38th state to endorse it. Today in 1845, Congress decided that all national elections would be held on the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. Today in 1932, New York Governor Franklin Roosevelt, Franklin D. Roosevelt, he announced his candidacy for the Democratic presidential nomination. And today in 1950, the Israeli Knesset approved a resolution affirming Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. It took a long time, but our current president, others said they were going to do it. Good presidents said they were going to do it, but they never did. But President Trump, as you know, affirmed that and moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Today, 1962, Tony Bennett recorded the song, I Left My Heart in San Francisco. I think we've all heard that. Interestingly enough, it was recorded in New York by Columbia Records. But I guess he could be in New York and still have left his heart in San Francisco. Today, in 1968, North Korea uh, seized the U.S. Navy intelligence ship USS Pueblo. Remember that? He commanded by Lloyd Pete Butcher. They charged, North Korea charged the crew with being on a spying mission. One sailor was killed. 82 were taken prisoner. They um, were released 11 months later after much brutal captivity at the hands of the North Korean government. Today in 2009, President Barack Obama very quietly ended the Bush administration's ban on giving federal money to international groups that performed abortions or provided information on the option. That's called the Mexico City Accord. It came into being when Reagan was in office. Well, Barack Obama did do that and he did it quietly. That's true. President Trump has reinstalled that and reinstituted the Mexico City Accord. We do not send money to people and organizations, international groups that perform abortions or provide information or, in effect, promote it, which is what they do. I think that was one of the first things, if not the first things, that President Trump did when he took office on his inauguration. Probably the second thing he did was denied that he had done anything wrong as President of the United States because he'd only been there a matter of minutes or maybe an hour or so when the left started demanding that he be impeached. Well, we've come a ways.
from that. I'm going to talk a little bit about that this morning. The guns came out. People started running downtown Seattle. I'm sure you've heard about it. The whole nation has heard about it. It was in the national news. All the networks carried it. The police are still hunting for the suspects. Police believe that multiple people are responsible for yesterday's gunfire. Busy downtown sidewalk. I think it was right near um, McDonald's downtown. Left one person dead, seven injured, including a child. That was the third shooting in downtown Seattle in 24 hours. Earlier yesterday, police shot and wounded a man in Belltown. And on Tuesday, a man was found dying from a gunshot wound inside Westlake Center. Well, you know what will follow this. There will be now the opportunism will be on full display from Governor Inslee and AG and all the rest of them. And um, they'll be demanding, demanding that we've got to control guns. What that really means is we've got to get rid of the guns, all of them. And then we can be, we can live in peace forevermore. They take advantage of every one of these tragic situations. And every time they pound their fist and they try to incrementally move the ball forward in complete and total gun, not control, but confiscation. Putting that aside, the politics of it all, let's remember the families affected in prayer. I don't believe I know anyone involved in that, but perhaps, but I don't think so. But boy, what a horrible, horrible ending to a day that started probably very normally for most of them. As each day does, you never know what a moment's going to bring. We never know. We never know what's just around the corner in life. That's why we base our lives, we build our lives, and perhaps some of these did, but we build our lives on the rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. We live in a world of sinking sand. Progressivism has caused fluidity in everything from truth to heightening and promoting and advancing the idea that in everything, the end justifies the means. There's no amount of hyperventilating, hyperbole, flat-out lying that can paper over this disastrous case that the House Democrats have asked the Senate to try in their effort to impeach President Trump. Representative Adam Schiff yesterday, California Democrat, he's one of the chief faces, chief architects of this. It's fatally flawed. I'm not a lawyer, but I, I mean, I, I read people that are lawyers, and even on the left, even the Democrat lawyers would say, no, I don't know. I don't think they have a case here. I wish they did, but they don't. Standing in the well of the Senate yesterday, he condemned the Senate. He condemned the Senate for not using subpoenas, issuing subpoenas that he and his House colleagues refused to issue. He lectured senators for not calling witnesses that he himself had refused to call. Then Mr. Schiff harangued the Senate for proceeding without regard for fairness and due process. The very same fairness and due process that he, 
himself had shredded. He was acting over in the House of Representatives with Nancy Pelosi cheering him on behind the curtain. He was acting like Captain Ahab pursuing Donald Trump's impeachment. Impeachment at any price. Of course, Mr. Ship, he didn't even try to explain how he and his fellow House Democrats yesterday spent months racing for impeachment only to get their little papers drawn up, of which there are no crimes mentioned, and then sit on them for 33 days. There's no explanation for that because there can't be. They were racing at breakneck speed, breaking all the rules, running over precedent, tradition, all the stuff that's part of our deliberative body in Congress. And then all of a sudden, they got their papers drawn up and their articles, one and two, and they put on the brakes and sat on it. And Nancy had these gold pins. I'm told they cost thousands of dollars. These gold pins with her name embossed on it. Dozens of them brought in on a silver platter to sign the impeachment articles. And 33 days later, they walked them like a solemn, like a funeral procession down the halls of Congress from the House to the Senate, only because Mitch McConnell said he was done playing, you know, make-believe with these people and he was going to move forward with or without their articles. So they walked them over. This is the most insane thing I can only imagine. And I've spent a lot of time with people in the third world countries of this earth. Lots of times. Admittedly with Christians, and they're perhaps more clear thinking, I'd like to think we are, than people who are non-Christian. But, And yes, I'm biased. But I can only imagine what some of the people that I know in Guatemala and El Salvador and Africa and Asia and all over the four corners of the earth that I've not only been with, but I've spent time in their home. I've slept on their dirt floor sometimes with the rest of the family while we were building churches and ministering and preaching and bringing people to know Jesus Christ personally. I know these people. Oh, it's another generation. That's been a while ago when I was doing that. But I know their children. I even know their grandchildren because I know what they believe. I know what they think. And they've got to be sitting there thinking the most blessed, the most prosperous, the most free nation in history a nation that many of them would like to be a part of. They'd like to live here. And they're looking at us and they're saying, what's the matter with these people? Why are they trying to self-destruct? And if I could speak to all of them today, I would say, I don't know. We've just lost our mooring and we've lost our direction. That's why the things that are being put forward the television people are breathlessly grabbing their water bottles and drinking from time to time, hour after hour after hour. They're not even crimes that they're presenting. I'm reminded of this every time I hear Nancy, Speaker Nancy Pelosi say, and she talks every time she can find a camera, she says nobody is above the law. She keeps saying that. We all know that. It's a matter of Who's trying not to be above the law? Which law? They don't know. Abuse and obstruction are not violations of the law. I mean, they're just not. Twelve hours 
our elected public servants, highly compensated, live in a bubble. They don't know, for the most part, most politicians don't even know what's going on in the real world. There are politicians that, that serve districts out here on the West Coast that have their more permanent home on the East Coast. I could go through and name them for you. I won't. I'm not that I'm hesitant to do so. I just don't want to take the time. But there are. Their main home is not the district they represent. They come home and hold a few town meetings and have a little apartment there or whatever. And then they jet off to their real life, which is in D.C., of course. And they need a place there because they're there a lot. But some of them live in other East Coast areas and even other states I'll tell you this, I mean it, this is a career to be sought after by those who want that I don't but it is not as it appears often so it's these people who were up there yesterday again 12 hours of non-stop television CBS and ABC and NBC breathlessly covering what they say and repeating it to be sure that everybody got it. I'm not a magician, but I can, I think, I can boil down everything that happened in 12 hours yesterday in four minutes for you. I've got this. I read through it and I timed myself. I think it's about four minutes. It may take me a little longer now. It may take me a little less, but here's four minutes. It's going to give you 12 hours of what happened yesterday. Number one, this whole matter cannot be decided at the ballot box. Yeah, they really said that. Schiff said that. Here's what he said. He said, for we cannot be assured that the vote will be fairly won. In, corrupt, in corruptly using his office to gain a political advantage and abusing that office in such a way to jeopardize that national security and the integrity of our elections in obstructing the investigation into his own wrongdoing, the president has shown he believes that he is above the law and scornful of constraint. Therefore, he said, and I quote, this is a quote from him, this president's misconduct cannot be decided at the ballot box. In other words, we're not going to let you people vote because we're afraid you won't vote for us. Number two, re, uh, they're resurrecting the Russian narrative. I don't know how many hours they spent on this, but repeatedly yesterday in their 12-hour little marathon, they went over this. One impeachment article, article alleges Trump of he was soliciting Ukraine to meddle in the 2020 election. The House impeachment managers brought up Russia again and again and again yesterday. This comes despite the conclusion by special counsel Robert Mueller, who was supposed to be their hero, their champion. He came up in his team after spending millions of dollars that neither Trump nor his campaign conspired with Russian government operatives to influence the 2016 election. That's when they pivoted to the Ukraine. Number three, Trump's real-time response. Trump was in Switzerland, Davos, and he hit a home run there by all accounts. Trump apparently was watching this because he weighed in on Schiff's argument in real time from his economic conference. He took the time to tweet in all capital letters while, while, um, while Schiff was telling Congress uh, that in the world that the president was pressuring the president of, of, of Ukraine to go after Joe Biden 
Trump tweeted in all capital letters, no pressure. <laughs> Obviously, the, the, the Ukraine president has said that repeatedly. But he was making the point that he didn't pressure Zelensky, the president, to conduct investigation of the Bidens and a possible Ukrainian meddling in the 2016 election. Number four, citing an actual statute. They didn't do that. Trump defenders and independent legal analysts frequently note that after House Democrats failed in their effort to show Trump had engaged in bribery or extortion, they had to rely on vague charges of abuse of power and obstruction of, of Congress. And that's all they have. And they go over that again and again and again. Schiff said yesterday, and that conclusion was that a hold on aid was not only wrong, it was not only immoral, it was also illegal. And yet he and his Democrats and their president, Obama, a Democrat, when when the Ukraine asked them for help, they sent them, honestly, blankets and some camping gear. Number five, there was a lot of time spent defending the Bidens. Senate Democrats spent most of the day Tuesday and much of the day yesterday, asserting that they were committed to having witnesses testify in the Senate trial. However, before the trial started yesterday, they began to back away. Senate Minority Leader Charles Schumer, he threw that desire into question. During the press conference, Schumer was asked yesterday about a possible deal to have testimony from Trump's former National Security Advisor, John Bolton, whom they feel will undermine the president. People who know Bolton think he won't, but who knows? I don't know. Anyway, to, um, to have John Bolton in exchange for testimony from Hunter Biden about his lucrative board position with his Burisma holdings. Well, <laughs> Schumer said that trade deal about, you know, I'll give you this if you'll give me that as far as witnesses are concerned. He said that tra trade deal is not on the table. This isn't like some fantasy football trade. Trials aren't trades for witnesses. And he went on and on and on and on about that. It's true. Jerry Nadler told the Congress yesterday. He said it's true, the Senate. He said it's true that Vice President Biden helped remove Mr. Shokin, who was widely believed to be corrupt. He said it was the official policy of the United States, European community, and others in order to fight corruption in the Ukraine to ask that Shokin and former Ukraine prosecutor Lesensko be removed. So he, Nadler said yesterday in defense of Biden, so Vice President Biden, in fulfilling U.S. policy, pressured Ukraine to remove Shokin, not to secure some personal benefit. Well, yes, he did, by all accounts. And he's on videotape, Biden, bragging about it, as he loves to do, about anything. And he's bragging about it and how he told him that, you know, he had eight hours or six hours or whatever it is. I've seen that video, I don't know, a lot of times. That's what happened in 12 hours yesterday, in my opinion. Not everyone would agree with me, but that's what I saw and heard as I reviewed it. No, I did not sit through it. I couldn't. I do not have that kind of stamina, nor desire to do so. I do want to thank you for your support. We're running a little behind this month. I mean, quite a little bit as far as the time of the month for our budget. Um, so if you regularly support us and you forgot to, <laughs> knock, knock. 
Um, I'm not worried about it, but we pay attention because we don't operate out of a big fund. <laughs> we operate out of cash flow. We don't have reserves. We haven't had since this program went on the air, and we do not have now. So I would encourage you to continue and remember to stand with us. This note says, Dear Gary, I really enjoy your program. Gets a lot of good information out of it. When I went to school, American history and world history was taught, but sadly, no more. This person says, I am a Donald Trump supporter, even though most of my family are not. Wish I could send more to support what you do. I really believe in it. Our address is Box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. I'd like to talk to you for a few minutes about Iowa and about the Democrats are wondering whether a woman should be elected as president or a homosexual. There's a lot of discussion about that in Iowa. Iowa's coming up, the caucus, right, right away. It's just over the horizon. The Washington Times wrote a story about this, and I want to take a little bit from what they wrote and add a, a lot more of my own thoughts uh, to it. But the Times says Pete Buttigieg could be on the losing side of the debate, but they're not sure over whether a woman or a gay person is more likely to shatter the glass ceiling in presidential politics. The first round of voting, they say, in 2020 primary happens in Iowa, and it's just over the horizon. Progressive, progressivism and its identity politics is a heavy burden to bear. That's my words, not theirs. Its effect on freedom and liberty can be disastrous. That's why I want to spend a couple of minutes talking to you about this. Elizabeth Warren and Pete Buttigieg appear to be the banner carriers. Yes, Bernie's in the mix, for sure. I mean, there's no question. But the conversation that was captured by this newspaper and others is mostly around whether a woman or a homosexual would be preferred as the next president of the United States. It's odd. I'm not saying that. They're saying that. The Democrats in Iowa are talking about that. Not the Republicans in Iowa. There's a lot of good, God-fearing, Bible-believing conservatives in Iowa. It's not them, but the progressives in Iowa. The, the Democrats. The Times says the political message of the former South Bend, Indiana mayor, that's Buttigieg, is hitting home with Democrats across Iowa, particularly in the more conservative areas of the state that are worried about the party moving too far left. Conservative, they mean as in Democrat, conservative, meaning less progressive. Mr. Buttigieg's homosexuality, though, is giving many Iowans cold feet, they say. Grant Dyer and his wife, they prefer Pete. They like Pete, but they worry that he can't beat Trump in an election because... He's gay. Overshadowing the question of whether the nation is ready for a gay president has been a debate over gender and electability. Warren put the subject out there the other day. You, you heard that. I mentioned it, in fact, on this program. She accused Bernie Sanders of telling her in private that a woman could not win the White House. Bernie Sanders is adamantly, boy with his head down and bent over the lectern and pounding his little fist. He says, no, I didn't say that. And Elizabeth Warren says, yes, you did. And of course, if Elizabeth Warren says that, I mean, obviously it's true. I'm joking. The Times, it's a publication that I read often, but I don't always agree with them, but I read it. They say Mr. Buttigieg is, isn't emphasizing his sexuality, but that isn't true. He is. 
And he's, he's not only emphasizing his sexuality because he believes that's a winning issue for him, and I don't know, maybe it is in, among far-left people in Iowa. It certainly would be in Oregon and Washington and California. I mean, that would be a big deal. They would want to be a part of breaking that glass ceiling or whatever. But he is emphasizing that, and he's braiding it, he's weaving it into his version of Christianity. And he's emphasizing his homosexual behavior in Iowa. He's talking about his husband all the time. Recently, Buttigieg noted that the Iowa Supreme Court made Iowa the third state in the U.S. and the first in the Midwest to legalize same-sex marriage. Here's what Pete said standing in Iowa. He said, I'm standing here in a state that 10 years ago, sending a message from right here in the American heartland, made it possible for my marriage to exist. And with your help, I might be standing in the state that will make history by making me the next nominee and the next president of the United States. That's a theme that he's carrying around the state. The Times missed that. I mean, they, they just are wrong on that. But the Times feature story includes a number of quotes from individuals, and that's what they're talking about as well. This is on the left. This is not not Republicans. Peter uh, or Perry uh, Miller, he's praising. I mean, these are just people on the street there in in the town, in various towns. Perry Miller praised Buttigieg, comparing him to John F. Kennedy. He said Kennedy was our first Catholic president, and Pete Buttigieg will be our first homosexual president. I mean, is he really comparing? Catholicism to homosexuality? Larry Anderson, he says he thinks war and sex is a great advantage. He said, we want a woman. It doesn't matter the qualifications. Joy Olson, she's a Warren supporter. She says, there is this woman thing. She says, I support Elizabeth because Misogyny is a real issue. Now, do you, I guess you do, elect a president on the basis of their sex or even their sexual behavior. That's where identity politics has taken us and it's killing us. The Heritage Foundation published a paper, it's, a, it's an hour read, I'm not ex- suggesting you read it, but if you want to, it's at faithandfreedom.us. It's linked in what I wrote about this morning. It's long, but it's it's very informative. I'm taking a part of that, and part of this is my own thoughts in the last minute and a half that I have this morning. Identity politics is primarily an outgrowth of the black nationalist, black power, and women's liberation movements, and has since come to dominate the public square. It combines a focus on race, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, and other what Heritage calls identitarian categories with a politics of victimization. That's exactly what it is. The cornerstone of this worldview is the claim that America, contrary to its egalitarian professions of faith, is at its core a supremacist regime that oppresses certain groups. And that's what we're seeing played out in Iowa and across this nation today. The great statesman Daniel Webster said often, he often reminded us, forget, he said, don't forget the religious character of our origin. 
This is a time to remember. It's a time to be prayerful and a time to act. I'll see you tomorrow.